Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release on the air. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Jerry with the message. I want to start out by saying that growing up, uh, I didn't do a lot of training for adulting. My parents did a lot for me. You know my brother, you can ask him, he will gladly tell you. Um, He might actually tell you that I still don't do a lot, so maybe don't ask him. (laughs) Anyway, one of the things that I didn't learn how to do until I got married was cook. Didn't really cook for myself, so whenever we got married, there was a lot of experimenting, trying to figure out what goes with what, how long to cook things. Turns out you can't cook everything in a microwave, doesn't go so well. Um, And so, One day, I decided that I wanted to cook dinner for Derek, and I wanted to have it ready before we got home. Um, And I want to pause here just to tell you a distinction between the way Derek does things and the way that I typically do things. Now, if you know us, you probably already know this, but not every one of you knows us very well. So the way that Derek does something is that he imagines what he'd like to do, and then he researches how to do it, how not to do it, Who's done it before? What pitfalls might you fall into? What do you need to do it? Where's the cheapest place to find the things that you might need to do it? And then he makes a plan. Often the plan takes even longer than it would take him to do the thing. But by the time Derek gets something done, it is done really, really well. The way that I do things, or my family of origin, the way that we do things is we decide what we want to do, and then we start doing it. and we make it up as we go along. And so if something is not really working, we just like push harder or we'll like cut some of it off or bang on it and eventually we'll fix it and it'll be fine. We might have to come back and refix it and do it again. So it takes us maybe longer in the, in the long run, but we can get things done very quickly. So those are the, just an aside. So I applied those principles to my cooking. I was like, this can't be that hard. Lots of people cook dinner all the time. And so I decided that I wanted to make us dinner. um, And I imagined that I wanted to make this uh, dish from the Outback that I really love. It's called Alice Springs Chicken. Um, And I don't know if you've ever had it, but it's delicious. It's chicken with bacon and mushrooms and this really good honey mustard sauce. And so I look in the cupboard and I have chicken and I have mustard and I have honey, but I don't have the other things. And I think it'll be fine. I'll improvise on how hard can it be to make honey mustard sauce. Well, it turns out that you need more than just honey and mustard. And if you don't know that much about cooking, you probably should research the ratio to which you add those things. So I, uh, he got home and I pulled it out of the oven. We sat down to this dinner I was so proud of and it was disgusting. Um, We had to end up throwing it all away. We went out to Pizza Hut that night Like, it was not good. So it really cost us. It cost us the ingredients. It cost us Pizza Hut, time, all of that. And so I'm happy to say that in 17 years of marriage, I have come a little bit over to Derek's camp. I at least look at recipes, sort of, before I start cooking and do a little bit of research. I read all the directions before I start doing something. That's a big deal. Um, And so fast forward to last week. I decided that I wanted to make chocolate chip muffins, my kids, the way that I can sneak protein into my kids before school. 
So I'm making chocolate chip muffins and it calls for an egg. I don't have an egg. So I do some research and find out that you can use applesauce in place of an egg. So I used, I figured out how much, I measured it out, put it in, and the muffins were fine. My kids don't know the difference. They ate them, no problem. But I could tell. I could tell that it was not quite what I wanted it to be. It wasn't as rich or full of flavor. And so I'm telling you these stories for a reason. I think that sometimes we start to do something and we realize we don't have everything that we need or that we think we need. And sometimes it's a mustard chicken situation. <laughs> like if you make it up, it's going to cost. If you just figure it out, it's not going to go well. And sometimes it's a chocolate chip muffin situation. Sometimes you can like improvise and figure it out. It's good enough. But the thing is that we often don't know what situation it's going to be until after the fact. And when God has called us to do something, we don't want it to be even just good enough, right? And so Derek has been preaching through the book of Nehemiah. And I want to just give you some background because I think it's been helpful to me to really study what is happening um, as we're reading. And so in around 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and overtook Israel. So the way that the Babylonians attack is that whenever they um, defeat a nation, they take the nobles, the people who had anything, anybody who was affluent, the king, they would take back to Babylon and make them intermarry, but they would have left the poorest of the poor in Jerusalem. So they sort of ravaged Jerusalem, took the best in the world's eyes people to Babylon and made them intermarry. But there were some left over. Um, and so Nehemiah, where we pick up the book of Nehemiah, it starts around 445 BC. So that's 40 years between the Babylonian exile and when we pick up with Nehemiah. And what had happened in those 40 years is um, the king of Persia overtook Babylon. So whenever he became over Babylon, he released the Israelites and they were no longer in captivity, they were able to slowly trickle back. But Nehemiah had found favor with the king of Persia, and so he was his cupbearer at the time. And we, that's sort of where Derek started. And so that's kind of where we're at. Nehemiah was in Persia, and in chapter 1, some people came and told him, hey, the Israelites are not doing well. Jerusalem is in really bad shape. They're kind of as low as they've ever been. And Nehemiah is struck he weeps, he prays, he asks God what to do, and he feels like God tells him to rebuild the wall. That's kind of the backstory. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 4. They've started to build the wall. And I'm going to read from Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And it says, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they're building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stone. And then Nehemiah he says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. 
Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashad heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore a sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And so the first thing that stands out there to me is that as soon as they start to build, as soon as they start to do what God has asked them to do, there's opposition, right? And so I wonder if you've ever been in that place where God asks you to do something, and then it seems impossible to do the thing. I find that this often happens with people, especially who are saying yes to Jesus for the first time, that they say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus, and then things happen and pull them back, and they fall. I think that happens to us as we walk with Jesus too, right? He constantly is asking for more, for more of our lives, for more transformation, and we say yes, maybe in a church service, or maybe in our quiet time. But as soon as we say yes, opposition comes. I've prayed with lots of you about jobs that God felt like God was asking you to take, or relationships that God was asking you to let go of, or push into, maybe have a conversation with someone. And as soon as you start to do that, it gets hard. But here's the thing. The hard is good for us. It's in that pushing and pulling and that not really knowing how you're going to do what God has asked you to do, but deciding that you're not going to turn back, that God grows our faith in him and his ability to move us. It's in that standing, in that refusal to do something else, when God solidifies the foundation of what he's asking us to do. And so what is important when we face opposition 
is how we face it. There are a couple ways to do that. We can turn around. We can say, hmm, I felt like God called me to do this, but now it's hard. So maybe God didn't call me to do that. <laughs> I find that. Or we can decide, sort of like I did with my, with my cooking, like, I'll, I'll make it up. God told me to do this. I don't know how to do it, so I'll figure it out. Like, I'm resourceful. I can figure it out. We see this with Abraham whenever God said, I'm going to give you a son, and then it didn't happen for a while, and Abraham sort of made it up. Abraham and Sarah sort of made it up their own way. But it's important for us to stand and call on God in those moments. The only way to really experience breakthrough during opposition is to call out to God for help. If God calls you to do something, he will provide the power and the means to do it. There are times when he allows us to sit in the hard. We have to ask for his help. But I think so often that's for us to realize that we cannot do it ourselves and that we need him. And we see this in Nehemiah. Whenever opposition comes, Nehemiah prays and says, God, you asked us to build this wall and now these people are going to attack us. Would you come? Would you help? And it's a desperate prayer. I think God loves desperate prayers when we just cry out to him for help. Second thing that I see here is that God's kingdom coming in our lives affects not just our lives, but our families' lives, the people around us. And for generations, the impact on us saying yes to Jesus and following through, we may never know what the full impact of that is. Um, let's look at verse 14. It says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your kin, your sons, your daughters, and your wives. The things that God is inviting you to do will have an impact beyond what you could imagine if you persist. Nehemiah tells the people to remember God. Remember how powerful he is. Remember that he has every resource at his disposal and call out to him. Yesterday I was sorting through a box of things that I actually need to bring here from the house to put in my office, and I found this picture of my son's baptism. And some of you were there. Some of you are in the picture, so that's fun. But it's a picture of me and Derek beside the horse trough baptizing my son, my daughter standing there, and I was just struck. I, I started thinking about knowing what I'm preaching about. I started thinking about how many times when we moved here to plant this church, it was hard, <laughs> and opposition came, and I thought, God, I don't think I can do this, and opposition still comes. There's so many times when God calls us into a next level, and something happens, opposition comes, but then I thought about my son, who was in the picture, being baptized, and how whenever he was seven, he led his sister to Christ. She was five. And how last week he took cards, invitation cards, to school and invited his teacher and a lunch lady and one of his friends, and we're hoping that they come and meet Jesus if they haven't begun a life with Jesus. And I thought, man, who knows what the impact of my ability to say yes and God's ability to empower me will be. And so that's not just for me, that's just a story I know. 
And I think lots of you have stories like that. I can, as I'm looking at your faces, I can think of your individual stories about how you just said yes, and that's all that I ever do. There's nothing special about me. I just say yes, and it's God's power that makes the things happen. He's responsible for the results. And so what we say yes to and what we persist in has an enormous kingdom impact that honestly we may never even know. And the last thing that I want to point out is that if you're walking with the Holy Spirit, if you're being intentional to do the things that God has asked you to do God's way, it's going to take more time. And that's something that I've lamented in my life. I'm probably not alone in that. But it takes a little longer to make sure we're doing the things that God has asked us to do. Let's look at at verse 16. It says, From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and body armor. And the leaders posted themselves behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Then burden bearers carried their loads in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and with the other held a weapon. So rather than everybody working on the wall and building it, Nehemiah prayed and felt like the the way forward was to divide the laborers. Half of them would stand guard against opposition, and the other half would build. And even the ones who were building had a weapon with them, so it was harder for them because they were carrying armor and their weapons. And so this at, at least doubled the time that it would take for them to do the work. I think it's hard for us when we step in to hold the tension between what we know God has called us to. Often God speaks in very visionary words. This is what I want you to do. This is what it's going to look like. So it's hard for us to hold the tension between that and where we see that we are, which is not that. (laughs) There's often a chasm between here and there. And so it's hard for us, and we feel anxiety about that, and we feel frustrated about that. And so rather than wait or walk with the Lord, calling out to him to ask him what to do next, we either run ahead, we make our own way, or we say, this is too hard. I can't do it. But it's in that tension, again, where God grows the things in us that we need to do the things that he's called us to do. He often calls us to do things that we can't do with what we have because he wants to stretch us and grow us to be the kind of people that he's calling us to be. It's often a very slow process, or at least it feels that way to me. But what I found is that it's good. And as I look back, I can see, oh God, this was better. It's way better than me figuring it out or what I had planned to do way better. But we can only hear those little turnings and those little directions if we're walking slowly with God. So let me sort of break this down a little. Maybe you're in a place where God has asked you to give up control over something. And if you've walked with Jesus for any number of days, (laughs) he will do that. Maybe it's people pleasing. So you come and You hear a word or someone tells you or you feel like God's asking you to give up people-pleasing and you say, man, I don't want that anyway. Yep, I'll give it up, God, it's yours. And then you go to work on Monday and your boss comes in and asks you to do something that you 
don't have the means to do, don't have the energy to do, don't have the time to do, physically can't do, and then you're faced with a problem, right? Are you going to just say yes and figure out how to get it done? Or are you going to call out to God and say, God, you asked me to give up people-pleasing, and now I have this situation. Opposition is coming. What do I do? Or maybe God has called you to tithe. And so you say, okay, God, I'm going to be more generous with my money. It's your money anyway. All the things that we say. You can almost guarantee that God, if he asks you to tithe, that next week your car is going to break down. <laughs> or the furnace is going to break or something. And you're stuck with a moment of, okay, am I going to be obedient to God? Or am I going to decide that's not actually what he said? It's in those moments that our faith grows. What if he's called you to a ministry? And I, you know, Derek was, has been talking about we're each given this gift, and often when we look around and we say, oh, that thing, that's not, that's not as good as it should be, or they need to do this, or this could be better, often that's God pulling on our hearts to say, hmm, maybe you should put your hand to that. So maybe God has called you to a ministry, but then you go home and you look at your calendar and you think, I can't even manage the things that I already have to do. How am I going to do even more? We have a, a moment to take and say, God, you have called me to this. Will you make a way or will you show me the way? So when we say yes to God, I promise you, opposition will come. The Bible pretty much guarantees it. And we have a choice to make. Are we going to decide it's not the right thing? Are we going to push ahead and make our own way? Or are we going to walk slowly through the process with God, trusting that if he called us to do something, he will make a way for us to do it? And so the opposition that comes, it slows you down sometimes. Sometimes you have to put out fires. Sometimes you have to figure it out. Um, but God is faithful to answer our call. And it's in, it's in the tension. It's in the push and pull that he grows us. When God invites us to respond to him, it requires our willingness and it requires his power to do it. And we can see these two things going hand in hand as Nehemiah and the Israelites prepare to fight, but then call out to God. It's like this back and forth. God, what do we do? Okay, and then they do it. Bible scholar J.A. Motyer says, Suffering is the badge of discipleship. Taking up the cross authenticates the reality of faith. Yet, however intense the opposition, the believer is not without resources, and they are released in reliant prayer. Let's look finally at verses 19 through 20. So Nehemiah decides to have a trumpet player with him at all times. So if there's an attack, he can play the trumpet, and all the people who are standing guard can run to wherever the trumpet was being sounded, and then they can fight. And it says there in verse 19, And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread out, and we are separated from one another on the wall. Rally to us when you hear the sound of the trumpet. Our God will fight for us. It's easy to miss there, but he tells them they're going to come and fight, and God will fight for them. In their fighting, God will fight for them. And so when we are filled with God's Spirit and obedient to him, 
our work becomes powered by his strength. So here's what I want to do. I think there are many of us who are fighting, who maybe God has asked you to give something up or look at things a different way. And I really have a sense that it has a lot to do with control, that God has maybe asked you to give up control in an area of your life. Control is imaginary, by the way. (laughs) We actually don't have control over anything. But maybe God has asked you to submit your thoughts of control or your way of controlling things or people. And so I think there are some of us who really need to be powered by the Holy Spirit in that fight. Maybe we've been white-knuckling it and we're tired. Maybe we just, we feel like we have been standing the tension and doing the push and pull and not turning back, but we're tired. And we need the Holy Spirit to come again and fill us up and empower us. I think maybe there are some of us who are living without the reality of even knowing that there's a God who loves us and who wants to transform our lives, all the parts of us and our lives that we want to be different. He wants to touch and change them. But that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.